Amen. What a wonderful morning it is. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. It's wonderful to see you. It's wonderful to be together. And we're so thankful for the visitors, visitors that we have. Thank you so much for choosing to be here. Uh, we want you to know you're always welcome here. We invite you to come back at any and, op any and every opportunity. And also, we're always here to serve you if there's any way we can. Please let us know. We uh, continue in our series on the church of our Lord. We're going to look at faithful elders today, faithful elders. Someone out there is thinking, all right, now's our chance. No, I'm kidding. We're going to look at faithful elders. I read a story about a Christian man who went on a Bible lands trip to Palestine. I don't know if that's how they say it. In East Texas, we say Palestine, so I'm sure that's how they say it, right? Maybe it's Palestine. On one afternoon, though, he told about how he stood on a ridge that overlooked this deep, long canyon. And there was lots of pasture land that just kept on going, all the grass and pasture land below at the bottom of this ridge down in this canyon. And he, he happened to be up there at the right time. And when he looked down, he saw three shepherds walking ahead of their sheep. They were talking, enjoying themselves, and they were walking down this single trail. But up ahead was a, the trail, the one single trail, split off into multiple trails. It branched off. So the man visiting Palestine, he watched and observed these modern-day shepherds and he watched as they got closer and closer to the branched off trails. And when that happened, he saw that the shepherds stopped and shook hands and said goodbye. And they each picked their own trail to go down. Well, behind them all this way had been this huge flock of sheep following them, just all together. But as soon as the shepherds went off in their own directions... The, the man visiting noticed what the sheep did. They just automatically started following their own shepherd. And he said it was an amazing thing to just see this happen so naturally. And as they got down a little bit on their own trail, he noticed that the shepherds would stop and they turned around and they scanned to see if they had all their sheep with them or if maybe there wasn't some stray sheep somewhere to make sure all of them uh, saw what was going on and, and came with their group. And one by one, the shepherds uh, took turns cupping their mouth, their hands on their mouth and calling out in their own unique call to their sheep. And as soon as they did that and did their own unique call, the, the, any, any of their stray sheep, their ears would perk up and they would look and they would trot along quickly and get in with their flock. And he saw each shepherd do that and, and in each flock the, their own sheep would listen and they knew their shepherd's voice and they, they hurried up to join the flock that belonged to their shepherd. And I thought that was such an amazing thing. And, and how many of us here get to see something like that and in a place where, where this happened in Bible times, where we read about in Scripture? They knew their shepherd's voice and they followed him. Jesus said that 
His sheep hear His voice and they know the shepherd when, they, when the shepherd calls in John 10, 3. And then Jesus said that He was the good shepherd in John 10, 11 and that, that He knows His own sheep and they know Him in verse 14. One of, those, one of the, the really important roles that we see in the Lord's church is the role of elder. The New Testament uses a few different words. Elder is the one most commonly used in the New Testament. Others are overseer, shepherd, pastor. We'll mention those uh, briefly. Uh, and, and you'll see in Scripture they're kind of, they're, they are used interchangeably. They're talking about the same role. But in 1 Peter 5, if you'll turn to 1 Peter 5, Peter does this neat thing. He connects the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, Jesus, from what Jesus uh, said in John 10, what John records there, and he takes that shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus, and he connects it to the elders, the shepherds in the local church that Jesus has established. And so look at what he says in verse, starting in verse number 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, Peter writes, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. So you've already heard the word elder, and then you hear the word shepherd. He tells, hey, you elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, that local church. And then he says, exercising oversight. That's, that's overseer, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but look, be examples to the flock. And when the Chief shepherd, going back to that good shepherd that Jesus called himself in John 10. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Peter shows us that the elders in the local church are put there by God are a special role to do like Jesus does as the great shepherd, as the chief shepherd, and to shepherd that local flock in that local community. And that there's a connection between them and who Jesus is, who they are and the role they play in who Jesus is and what He is to us. That they're to care for that flock. They're to provide oversight. They're to nourish and, and look after that flock that is among them and to show them how to live for Jesus. Peter essentially summarizes here what Paul writes to Timothy and Titus about that we're going to look at. And he, and, 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 he, and he summarizes really the role of the elder and who the elder is and what he does. And we want to look today at what it is to be a faithful elder. We're studying the, the, the church of our Lord, and so in the church of our Lord there are elders, but we, we want to look at what is a faithful elder. We looked at unfaithful teachers, in other words, false teachers. We looked at faithful worship, and now we're looking at faithful elders. So, faithful elders are vital to the spiritual health 
of the local church. Now, as I said, and you know, there are multiple terms that New, the New Testament uses for elders. The really three primary ones are elder, overseer, and shepherd. The Latin word for shepherd is pastor, and that's nowadays what you hear mostly. You usually hear pastor used. That's that, but that, that means shepherd, okay? That, that's what that means. Now, uh, uh, overseer refers to the re- typically really the responsibilities of the elder. Okay, They have oversight of that local congregation to ensure it's faithful to Jesus, to ensure the members are cared for, that it's, it's fulfilling the mission of the church, and, and they're protecting and caring for uh, the members. And shepherd is another term used, and Jesus uh, has already used that of himself. And Peter, we saw the connection he makes, and, and, and that's that word pastor. But a preacher is not a pastor unless he has been appointed as an elder. So, so I'm not a pastor because I'm not an elder. I'm not an overseer. I'm not a shepherd, okay? Kenley's not the youth pastor because he's not an elder in the church. Now, I know a church, Highway 36 in, in Abilene, and uh, there are three elders, and one of the elders, Greg Melton, is also the preacher. And it works very well from them for, for them. Smaller congregation, wonderful congregation. It's a wonderful group of elders. And, and, and Greg is the kind of man that can handle that kind of role, that, that dual role. And that doesn't work necessarily everywhere, and it might not be wise everywhere and every place. And again, it just depends on that local need and that local situation. But in generally speaking, that preacher is not a pastor because he's not a shepherd, elder, overseer, unless he has been made that according to Scripture. So the idea that there's a single head pastor or elder or even that senior minister who's over the elders, something like that, any kind of different makeup like that is foreign to the New Testament. You need to understand that that's not the way Jesus set up his church. So he didn't set up for the, the, the minister to be the pastor over the church. He, he didn't set it up for there to be a, a head pastor over the other pastors, the other shepherds or elders. That's not the way Jesus set up his church. And for whatever reason, people have just, we go and we, you know what we do? We mess things up. We do things our way. And I think what we ought to want to do is say, well, what does the Bible say? I just want to, I just want to do what they did. I, I want to understand what, what they believed and what was taught there. I just want to do that. What, what if we just did what they did in the New Testament? I think it would be all right if we did that. And so, so I want you to be clear on that. Now, the word shepherd, though, is a very good job description for the role of an elder. Because of the image that it gives us, that that caring for, protecting, feeding, and the people following because of who he is and what he does, because he's pointing them to Jesus. So so the idea of shepherd is a great job description. Now, let's look at 1 Timothy 3. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. We'll mention Titus's, uh, what Paul wrote to Titus briefly, but but. What Paul wrote to Timothy and what Paul wrote to Titus about overseers, qualifications or qualities or characteristics or, or a profile of, is very, very similar, almost exactly, just a little bit difference in words, okay? Uh, but we'll look at uh, one thing in particular over in Titus. But look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. 
Paul writes, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, now the word uh, office is not there in the Greek, but it's it's put there so we can understand this idea of role. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Verse 5, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So... This is one of two places where we see a list of qualifications. And I said, as I said, we kind of use that term, but it's, it's really qualities. It's not exhaustive, uh, it's, 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 but he's, he's capturing this, this composite look at, here's what you're looking for in an elder. Here's the kind of Christian man you're looking for. These are the qualities and characteristics he's going to have, okay? And notice, I like what Paul says, the eldership... Uh, you see, is not so much of an office to be held, but a, a responsibility to have, to, to live out. It's a, it's a responsibility in the Lord's church. And Paul calls it a noble task. In the New American Standard, he calls it a fine work. Being an elder is, is a noble task and a fine work. And, and, and you can imagine, especially in the first century with persecution of Christians, what they might have uh, brought upon themselves by being, just by being an elder in the church. The kind of additional persecution, the kind of labor they would have had to give, uh, give of themselves for the sake of the gospel. So faithful elders are not boardroom elders. It isn't about meeting in a room at a big table and talking about business stuff. Does that have to happen? Yeah. But elders, faithful elders, aren't boardroom elders. They're living room elders because they're, they're in among you. They're in among, among the flock. And as uh, Lynn Anderson wrote years ago, they smell like sheep. Why? Because they're among the sheep. That's why. They're not over here separate. Uh, they're, they're, they're in among the lives of those who follow them as their shepherds in that local congregation. So Paul begins to describe in verse 2 a faithful elder. And the first thing he says to begin with is, therefore an overseer must. So these aren't suggestions. He's not saying hey, if you want to be the husband of one wife, or hey, if it's not too inconvenient for you, don't be a drunkard. He's not saying that. He's saying an overseer must. And he's going to lay out these qualifications, these qualities to look for that an elder should have in their life, must have. So, an uh, uh, and then we look at verse number two, a faithful elder, I'm going to kind of run through these and make some comments. A faithful elder, first of all, what does he say next? A faithful elder must be above reproach. We're going to look at what he says in verse two here. He must be above reproach. That means he must have a good reputation. 
Paul lists this also in, first, in, in Titus when he writes to Titus about it in verse number 6. That he must be above reproach. Now think about Peter. We don't really often talk about Peter as an elder, but did you know Peter was an elder in the Lord's church? Not always. What do we think about when we think of Peter? We think about him cutting some guy's ear off, right? Before they arrested Jesus. Before that, we think about him jumping out of that boat and then getting all ramped up and excited. And then, and then he sees what's going around him, the storms and the waves, and he starts sinking and Jesus saves him. And we talk about that. And, and then, and then we, we talk about when Jesus was arrested, right, and on trial. And, Je- and, and Paul did what Jesus told him he was going to do, and he denied him three times. When we think about Peter, we think about those stories. And we forget that Peter was an elder. But Peter's a great example of being above reproach because guess what? He wasn't perfect. And our elders in here, I know, be the first ones to stand up and tell you, yeah, I ain't perfect. They, 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 they're not trying to fool anybody. No, no, no faithful elder in the church would, would do that. In fact, they, 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 if, if we're honest, they probably feel like they're never good enough. Feel guilty because they know what they want to be doing and how they want to be living and that their standard is up here and they, they always feel like I, I'm not achieving that. And, and I don't suggest they should feel guilty and bad about themselves, but that's probably how they often feel because they understand what it is to be a faithful elder and they want that for you and they want to be that for the Lord. And so, so he says they are above reproach. So Peter's this example because he denied Jesus and he, was, he was, you know, would be bold and then, and then weak and all of that. But then he repented after he denied Jesus. Not an elder yet, is he? And then later we've looked at it before that Jesus did what? He restored Peter. Remember that time on the shore? After they ate breakfast, he called Peter to the side. He said, do you love me? Remember that? He restored him. Okay? And then later on at some point, Peter becomes an elder in the church, in the local church. So he was above reproach because you know what that means? Here's what above reproach means. That no one can bring a charge against them that can be substantiated. One one author wrote that their lives ought to be such, their reputation ought to be such as if... If there were a charge brought up against him, every, everybody would be like, no, not him, not him. Okay, so that's the kind of life he ought to live. Doesn't mean he'd never made mistakes, but he's, he's, he's devoted his life to Jesus. He's repented of anything and continues to. Not that he can live any way he wants and then just repent. That's not the point. Look at Peter's life. Peter was used as an elder in the Lord's church. He was restored. Also in verse 2, we see that an elder is a one-woman man. A faithful elder is a one-woman man. Now, that means he has one wife. He doesn't run around with other women. People don't wonder what he's up to. Uh, He's faithful to his wife. Now, understandably, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm just going to mention it. There's been a lot of debate by well-meaning smart, educated brothers in the church, scholars, about does that mean uh, he can 
have a wife and she passes away and he can remarry and still serve as an elder, or if she passes away, then he can no longer serve as an elder. There's people on both sides of that. I'll tell you, I don't think that disqualifies a person because that would mean that Paul is, is implying there's, there's a little bit of tarnish on that second marriage. And, and, and that he, no one had any, no one caused that wife to pass away. And, and, she, and he remarried a godly woman who can serve by his side in the eldership. So, so, so that would mean Paul is saying, yeah, I know, but. Okay, so, so my understanding, my, my, where I land on that is I do not believe Paul is saying he if she passes, for example, he, can, he has to step down or cannot serve. However, I do not think it is a doctrinal salvation issue if someone says, I really land over here for good reason. Or if the elder himself, and I, I, I know some, who his wife passes away and she was such a part of his shepherding, his, his ministry, that he just said, I, 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 can't, I can't do it without her. And so he took that opportunity to step aside to retire. Now, you know he continued to minister to people. So, so I want you to understand, you may land over here, you may land over here. It, it's not a doctrinal issue, and the Bible doesn't spell it out without leaving us any questions left. I'm just telling you where, where I understand that to land, okay? So an elder is also, a faithful elder is self-disciplined. He's self-controlled. He's, he restrains himself. He, he has himself under control, and he's respectable, okay? An elder is hospitable. How does he treat everybody, or does he just treat certain kinds of people from certain kinds of neighborhoods, of certain colors, or, or certain economic status? Does he treat them differently than those other folks over here? How does he treat the visitor? How does he treat the neighbor? How does he treat the people at work? How does he treat people? Is he hospitable? He must be to be a faithful elder. And then a faithful elder is able to teach. In other words, he's skillful at teaching. Now, Paul is not specifically, explicitly saying he has to be an outstanding Bible class teacher or preacher. He didn't say that. He said he must be able to teach. And I had an elder at Oldham Lane... uh, Older elder knew the Bible very well, and he and his wife were outstanding personal workers. They had helped countless couples and individuals over the years. They were always studying with, praying with, meeting with, helping people. They did that all the time. But we were planning a class series where we were going to team up and do some team teaching, and, and, and he told me, he said, now, I'm not a good classroom teacher. I'll do it if I need to, but I'm just not good at that. And he was right. That just really wasn't his strength. He had to have it all written out, and he just, it just wasn't his thing. That wasn't his giftedness. But you put him in a living room at somebody's house. You, you, put, him, you put him talking with somebody, praying with somebody in a classroom uh, uh, after worship or during worship, and somebody's in tears. You put him with those folks. Somebody who's working for him and he's talking about Jesus while they're working. And he was amazing. So was he able to teach? Absolutely. He could get up in front of a class. But that's not where he was skilled at. 
So he's not required to always be teaching. But, but the point is, can you communicate the word of God to people? And you can't do that if you don't know the word of God, can you? So a faithful elder needs to be, needs to be deep in the word of God. and need to be filled with the word of God so that they can share God's word with others. Explain it to them. Now, verse 3, quickly, a faithful elder is not addicted. Now, the Bible says he's not a drunkard or given too much wine, okay? So Paul specifically mentions alcohol. He cannot be a drunkard and given to wine. Instead, he needs to, uh, instead of be filled with spirits, right, he needs to be filled with the spirit, right, as another passage says. So he needs to be given to, one, one translation said not given to much wine. Instead of that, he needs to be given to Jesus. His life needs to be given over, turned over to Jesus. Where He doesn't have time for anything to cloud his mind and his, his judgment and his sense and any of that because he is, he is at all times a shepherd in the Lord's church, ready to help and do the Lord's work. Now, I do think it's reasonable to, to, to say there's a principle here that you ought not be addicted to anything, okay? And so anything that's going to cause you addiction... And, and, and cloud your ministry and tarnish you to, to cause a, an issue, a dent in what your influence could be, then you ought not be a part of that, right? You ought to keep it far from you. A faithful elder isn't a bully. You never see Jesus losing his temper and bossing people around, bullying people, pushing people, and, and being mean and angry and, and forcing his disciples to do anything. You never see that. You never see him treating people like that. He, he, didn't, he didn't push his weight around to get his way. And I, I don't have time to tell stories, and I don't want to tell stories that are negative, but, but you've probably seen some of that too over your lifetime. And, 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 and over my lifetime at different internships and being at different places, I've seen some of those kinds of things. And, and it's sad. It breaks your heart because that isn't what a, a shepherd is. You don't bully your way around to get your way, to have your way, and, and, and use your name or your power or your money or your status or whatever to say, well, this is how it's going to be. That, that ain't the way that we see in Scripture. That's not what a faithful elder does. And next, a faithful elder has his priorities straight. Paul says that a shepherd in the Lord's church is free from the love of money. He's got his priorities straight. He's not, he's not so consumed with chasing money, that love of money, that he can't put the Lord's church first before uh, 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 that next sale or that next thing, that, that he can't be first and foremost devoted to the Lord's church. Money is not his primary concern, people are, because he's a shepherd of the flock of God. His heart is devoted to Jesus and not the dollar. Now, verses 4 through 5, an elder a faithful elder is a family man. I'll move a little faster. He leads and care, cares for his family well. Because Paul said, if you, can't, if you can't lead and manage and care for your own family, you don't need something else to try to juggle in your life. You need some experience on you. You need some experience of raising children and, and being a husband and, and married to a wife. And you need, to, you need time on your life so that you can learn from that and then apply that to people's lives in the church and have some wisdom and experience. A faithful elder is spiritually mature. The word elder means older person. But in the New Testament, in the church, the emphasis is not so much on age as it is spiritual maturity. 
So a faithful elder is spiritually mature. And that's why new Christian men might be on fire for God. They might show a lot of promise and, 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 and ability. But that's why Paul warned, don't, don't make them an elder. Don't, don't place your hands on them quickly because he might feel like, uh, well, look how quickly I achieved this success. And Satan take advantage of that. That's his point. And then in verse 7, a faithful elder is well thought of in the community. Now he started off saying he's of, uh, above reproach. He has a good reputation. And the, the implication there is he's talking about within the church at the beginning of the chapter. But here he's saying explicitly he's well thought of where? In the community. He's well thought of in the community. He's well thought of in the neighborhood. He's well thought of in the workplace. He's well thought of down the street. He's well thought of in the grocery store. He's well thought of by other people who live around him. He's well thought of in the community. And Paul, remember he said an elder, a shepherd, an overseer must. So that's important. How does he treat others? Does he treat people right? Does he have integrity? Is he a man of his word? Is he well thought of? Now, quickly turn to Titus 1, and we're just looking at verse 9. Look at Titus 1, 9. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to what? Give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So what I want to emphasize in what Paul wrote to Titus, because Titus's situation was what? It was different than the established church in Ephesus that Timothy was at. He left Titus in Crete so that he could what? Set in order of things that are wanting, verse 5, chapter 1, and what? Appoint elders in every town. And I read there could have been at least 100 towns. There wasn't necessarily a church in every town. But wherever there was a church, he had to get around that whole island and appoint elders. And so he's telling him, look, here's what you're looking for in an elder. And you make sure they hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Taught by who? Taught by Paul. Taught by the apostles and passed on by Christ to them. So you hold firm to that sound doctrine of the word. You don't budge off that word. You don't say, yeah, but I read. I literally know an elder at a congregation who uh, uh, their church was beginning to use uh, women in the worship service and, and, and preaching and things like that. And a member uh, approached one of the elders to study with him about that, to ask about that. And, and the elder said, he, the member was saying, well, let's look at Scripture. Where, where does the Bible teach this? The elder literally said, we have new information. We have new information. That is an is, is a example of an unfaithful elder. Why? He's not holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And that's just one small example. And, and what does he do when he holds firm to that word? He's able to do two things. Do you see it there? He's able to give instruction. Remember, able to teach? He's able to give instruction. In what sound doctrine? To teach people the word of God. To minister to them with the word of God. And he's able to rebuke those who contradict it. So he can say, no, that ain't right. And he say, sister, let me show you what the word says here and that help you in your situation. He's able to do both things. Now, go back to 1 Timothy 5 and let's look. In chapter 5, he says something uh, about elders. We've looked at qualifications or qualities or characteristics of an elder that we should look for early on in those two examples. But now in chapter 5, Paul 
turns and says, here's how you need to treat elders. Here's what your relationship to elders ought to be like. Look at verse 17 of 1 Timothy 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except in the evidence of two or three witnesses. So he's saying you need to honor those men who serve as shepherds and overseers and, and, and elders in the church. Especially those, he points out, because especially in the, new te- in, the, in the first century, it would have made sense that a lot of elders were also te- doing a lot of the teaching and preaching, right? Because the church was new. And those were the men who would have known the Bible the best, you would think. Not always in every case, but they would have naturally been doing a lot of that. Some of them, for whatever reason, maybe they're older, more retired, been able to devote more of their time to teaching and preaching. And he says, everyone who, those who can, who can teach and preach on top of their regular elder responsibilities, they're worthy of double honor. And here and in the next verse, he's saying, in other words, you can also, not only worthy of double honor, but you can even, even uh, compensate them financially if the church... Uh, decides to do so, sees a need to do so, if there's a need to do that for whatever reason. We don't typically see that nowadays. But if you think about in a, in a first century area, a poor community or something, or whatever a situation might be, it's, it's biblically okay to do that should the need be there. But he's saying more importantly than that, because it's not about the money, it's about he's worthy of honor. Who? Those who rule well or leads well. That faithful elder is ruling well, he's leading well, he's following the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, being the kind of shepherd he should be. And those men are worthy of double honor. And then they say, look, don't believe everything you hear about him. Because if you've been in leadership in any position on your job, wherever it is, somebody's going to say something about you because all you got to do is make a decision. And when you make a decision, you're going to have people on this side who say it's the best decision you ever made, you're so wise. And over here, you're going to say, you're an absolute moron. How on are you a wicked, evil person? You don't care about anybody but yourself, right? That can happen. And so somebody's going to say something. So don't just believe everything you hear. Remember, these supposed to be, men are supposed to be above reproach. Now, he's not saying don't ever believe it. Look at, look at verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in fear. The rest may stand in fear. So this is obviously what has happened then is it's assumed the elders have gone to this brother elder uh, uh, with there's been an accusation and they have found reason to go investigate it and check things out and they have found reason to, they, they have found evidence okay this is legit and we ad- have addressed it biblically scripture gives us the way to do that with that brother and we've brought this to him this sin, this problem to his attention. And he has refused to repent, he's refused to change, and he continues, he persists in his sin. Then Paul says that's when the the elders need to rebuke him publicly so that the rest may stand in fear. And it's not about humility, it's not about destroying someone's life, it's not about hurting people. It's always about lost souls. It's always about people's relationship with God. So it helps people be restored. That's the motivation. Be restored to God. So as we close, you remember that story I told you about the beginning, at the beginning 
about the tourists in Palestine. He saw, when he saw the sheep following their shepherd's voice, what did they do? They followed their shepherd's voice. They knew him. They knew his smell. They, they knew his, the sound of his call. They followed him. Why? Because they trusted him. Because he was with them. He protected them. He fed them. He guided them. And they followed him. Faithful elders strive to imitate the chief elder, the chief shepherd. As, and as they imitate Jesus, they are shepherds that others can follow. I read in a book, uh, I read a book where one elder wrote, I am only worthy of being imitated if I'm imitating Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? And I, I, I know without a doubt that's exactly the heart of our elders here. And, 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 and I can only imagine, I can imagine as just a Christian and as a preacher, you know, you don't feel worthy. And I, I just can only imagine that's how elders feel in the Lord's church, how a deacon can feel, how any member can feel, a teacher. But, but I hope this is encouraging. Was I'm, I'm, I'm only worthy to be imitated as I'm imitating Jesus. I, and elders want to, faithful elders want to be faithful elders. Let's pray for them. Pray for our elders. Encourage them. Get behind the work that they lay out for us to do. Who's going to be our next elders? You won't believe this, but one day, Randy and Scott and Bruce and uh, Doug, Doug's not here, one day they're not going to be the elders here. I know we can't imagine that. But let me ask you, who's going to be our next elders? They might be sitting in this audience. And the question every brother in Christ in here ought to be asking, will God be calling me? And am I developing myself so that I can be one who would be called upon? Not that you do it for the wrong reason, but for the sake of serving God. So elders also need to be developing those who will come behind them. Maybe it's someone who's not even here yet who will one day be our elders. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus. But I want you to know when we have faithful elders, we have a faithful church where we grow spiritually and reach lost souls. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus, but that's why faithful elders are so important because they help make sure we're being faithful to do what Jesus would have us to do, to be faithful to his mission, to reach lost souls and minister to those among us and those outside of this congregation. If we can help you in your walk with Christ and your relationship with Him in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.